In the name of God, whose mercy endures. Amen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive, lend, expect nothing in return. I'm pretty sure that the only creature hardwired to do all of these from birth are dogs. Not cats, I love cats, I have a cat, Um, but they're temperamental and they're judgmental and they will pay you back. Dogs. A dog will love you no matter what. A dog will stick with you even when your life is falling apart around you, even to their own detriment. But here's the thing, we aren't dogs. This is, this is hard stuff. It's a nice sentiment, Jesus, but, but this is hard stuff. I've been thinking this week, and I can't think of anywhere else you find this invitation to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. All of this is is actually more than the golden rule that Jesus quotes here, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This isn't new to Jesus. This isn't, this is, uh, been around since the time of Homer and, and, and Philo, but if we're, if we're really listening, what Jesus is asking us to do is more than the golden rule. Think about this. I can ignore my enemy, and I would be okay if, if my enemy ignored me. Call it a truce. Uh, call it a, an agreement to disagree but I would be just fine moving in this world pretending that my enemy didn't exist or that their position didn't exist. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. This sermon, this sermon on the plains or or sermon on the level place, it's directed to a culture in which all relationships, both personal and, and professional, operated in a patronage system. The relationships were marked by calculations of debits and credits. I do something for you, and now I have a chip that I can hold over you until you do something for me. In fact, the social norms were such that the act of giving obligated the recipient to reciprocate even if he or she could not do so in kind. And so it kept a lot of people in debt. A cause and effect. Judgment for judgment. Forgiveness for forgiveness. Debt for debt. Love for love. And Jesus here is upending this patronage system. He isn't just creating a new ethical system, but he's laying out a framework of how we should be in the world. He's creating a new way to be in relationship, a new way to be in community. Jesus is telling us that if if, if we can trust God's goodness and generosity, if we can trust that God is, is working for the good in all things, 
even in the hurts done to us. Not that people shouldn't be held accountable here and now, um, or that we shouldn't stop violence against us. But that even when hurt and sickness and betrayal and unfairness come to us, because they will come to us, if we can trust that, that God will use all of that for goodness, then we can begin to let go of our little systems of right and wrong and fair and unfair. We can let go of of giving so that I can have a chip over you. Jesus says, be merciful as, as God is merciful. I heard this great definition many years ago by a minister who had been in prison in South Africa. He'd done something wrong. He'd gone to jail. And, and he had this, this definition of mercy, and it stuck with me. And he said, mercy is compassion that goes beyond justice. So justice is getting what you deserve. And compassion is, is the love of God that says, despite what you've done, I will love you so that you don't get what you deserve. And this doesn't mean that, that you aren't accountable here and now in our, our, our worldly criminal justice system. But it does mean that in God's system of justice, it's different. And you're loved beyond what you deserve in the kingdom of God. And that's really important because I think that a lot of people equate our worldly system of justice with, with God's system of justice. And so we, we spend a lot of time bargaining with God. We're bargaining for love and forgiveness. If I, if I do this, will you love me? If I do this, will you forgive me? But that's not true. God is merciful. We get more than we deserve and we get more than we could ever bargain for. And Jesus is telling us here that, that we're to be, be witnesses of that kind of mercy. And not just witnesses, we should be partakers in the inbreaking of that love into this world. Each time we reject violence for violence or, or we don't count up the, the wrongs um, held against us or, or we share generously or we take care of the other that doesn't deserve it, we're participating in this inbreaking of compassion and mercy in the kingdom of God. And that's great. But the truth is, that's hard. Now, I can only speak for myself, but, but I confess to you, I confess to you this morning that I have spent, if I really add it all up, several years of my life plotting all the ways that I could get revenge against someone who has hurt me. And forgiveness for me will come in, in fits and starts, and, and, but then this anger will, will bubble up in, in, inside of me, and, and I'll go back to finding a way to, to figure out how to get back at this person. How am I going to get my justice? How am I going to get my pound of flesh? And maybe I, I feel this way because we live in a culture that says we have to meet our enemies with force. 
But I think it's more about the fact that, that I don't want to let go of my feelings of anger. I think it's the feelings that we don't want to change. And that's what makes this gospel so hard. But if we're really listening to what Jesus is asking us to do, he doesn't ask us to change our feelings, our fear and our our anger or our hurt. Jesus is asking us to change our actions. Jesus knew what science is now proving. What we practice, we become. And what you practice grows. What Jesus knew is that changing behavior will change our attitude and our feelings eventually. In loving the other, in in blessing and showing mercy, we can recognize the love and mercy that we need ourselves. You see, it's reciprocal here. What Jesus knew is that changing our behavior will transform us in ways that we can't imagine. The problem is, is that we get so caught up in ourselves, we don't see the need of mercy all around us, even in our own lives. The study was done at Princeton Theological Seminary a number of years ago. And they asked this preaching class, they, they took half the class, and, and um, they asked the class whether they were going to prepare a sermon, a practice sermon. So they gave to half the class the parable of the Good Samaritan. And they gave to the other half of the class all sort of different scripture readings. And they had each of them sign up to come and, and give their practice sermon at different times. And so um, when each student showed up to give their sermon, um, they said, well, actually, you got to go across the way to this other building. And on their way to the other building, each student was met by a man who was hunched over, holding his stomach, moaning in pain. And the scientists said that that the propensity for a student to stop and help had nothing at all to do with whether they had been assigned the the sermon of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the Good Samaritan, right? The man's in the ditch and, and you have to stop and help him. It didn't matter if that had been their assigned scripture reading. What what mattered with whether they stopped or not was how much they were in a hurry or how caught up they were in themselves. And it reminded me of this old proverb of, where the student asked the teacher, What's, what is the most wondrous thing in the world? And the teacher tells the student, you know, the, you know, the most wondrous thing in the world is that, that people can be dying all around us, and we don't realize it can happen to us. You see, we're so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't see our own need for mercy and our own need for um, transformation and for resurrection in the little deaths we die in this life. Much less do we see it in others. So what do we do? How do we change our behavior? How do we become more merciful? How do 
there we begin to, to see the mercy needed all around us, even in our own lives. Oh, I think that we need to eat together more. Now that sounds really simple, and that sounds really silly. But did you know that the average American eats one in every five meals in their car? And that that one in every four Americans eats one meal a day that's fast food. You see, we, we aren't meeting each other at the table. And that's a problem. Because the table is the place around us where we discover each other. It's where we tell stories and we, we check in with each other about our days and our lives. It's the place where we learn about problems in our relationships often and, and tensions and anxieties and anger. It's the place where good news is broken. It's the place where bad news is broken. It's the place where grief shows up because we realize who isn't there with us. You know, we can't eat together and not notice each other. We can't eat together and not notice each other. Eating together always shifts one's perspective. And it always reduces one's perception of the other. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that the Gospel of Luke notes at least 10 occasions where Jesus is eating with his friends and with his cultural enemies. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that Jesus told us that the, the thing he really wanted the disciples and us to do is to eat this bread together, drink this wine together, eating and drinking around the table. And we're still called to do this each week at at that table. Now, I'm not sure if, if you're looking for a Lenten discipline, but what what would it look like if, if each one of us made a commitment to, to eat with each other more? And not just with each other, and not just with our families, and not just those who look like us, but, but finding ways to, to eat with those that we differ with, and that we disagree with, and that don't look like us. What might we notice? What behavior might change? For what we practice, we become. And what we practice grows. And we're growing something in every single moment. So the question is, what is it that we want to grow? Amen.